This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I'm Brian Hyatt. This is Rolling Stone Music Now. So we've had a few episodes this week, and that's just because we keep getting exclusive interviews. When Bradley Knoll, the lead singer of Sublime, died at age 28 in May of 1996, he left behind his band, and he also left behind a one-year-old son named Jacob. As it happens, Jacob Knoll is now 28 years old himself. And beginning at this year's Coachella Festival, Jacob is taking over as lead singer of the revived Sublime, with original drummer Bud Gow returning along with bassist Eric Wilson. Wilson played for years in the spin-off group Sublime with Rome, which Gow was also part of very briefly at the very beginning. Now Sublime is as back as it possibly could be under the circumstances. Today I have the first interviews with Jacob Knoll and Bud Gow, who explain why Sublime is back and talk about the possibility of finding a way to release some unheard Sublime music. And Jacob, who has his own musical project called Jacob's Castle, also tells me a lot about what it was like to grow up in the shadow of Bradley Knoll. We'll start off by hearing from Bud Gow. It's really exciting that you're back in the fold. What went down? How, how are you back? I was approached by a friend. Actually, it was, it was Paul Leary. He had, he had reached out to me and said that Eric was in the studio recording with, uh, with HR from Bad Brains and that they were doing it with a drum track. And he was like, man, you should really get down here to Texas and jump on this track. And so that kind of opened the door for things. And then I reached out to Eric about that. And he said, hey, yeah, uh, HR is not doing so well. We'd like to do this benefit show for him. And let's all get together and see if we can can uh, can jam. He's, I know you and I can jam, Jake. And we've never jammed with him. So let's see if this could even work out. And but, So that's how it all started. And we got into the studio and it was just like, just getting back on that bicycle and get, you know, riding. How much had you spent time with Jake before this at all? Just a little bit here and there when our schedules cross paths. I see him from time to time. Never jammed with him before. Do you have memories of him as a baby? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I figured. He was born June 1995. Obviously, a lot was going on back then. What do you remember about just him coming into everyone's lives? It was crazy. I was just thinking, it's like, how are you going to, how is this going to work out with you being on the road all the time? Us wanting to be out on the road all the time, you're a new kid and everything. You're going to want to be around to see him and it was just like that too but we slowed down the jamming it was neat having a new member of the family in there yeah one thing over the years that you probably couldn't even begin to imagine is that he would grow into someone who is such an eerie match for his dad while bringing something of his own to the table yeah it's it's pretty crazy for, for real jake's definitely his own young man his own person and but it's eerie like in the in the studio it was really surreal the first time jamming just closing my eyes it was bringing me back to the first early days in in brad's dad's garage and and but i mean it was also you know with, with jamming with eric there too it was quite seamless it was like just you know muscle memory so it really just was a total trip not to rehash it too much why did you leave in 2011 I, I was raised in a family and really needed to to be there for my family when I did the whole Sublime with Rome thing to begin with. It was under certain conditions, and those conditions I felt weren't being met. I saw it going in a direction that I was unhappy with. Eric and I weren't of the same mindset on that position. He wanted a tour more. I wanted a tour less, mm. more targeted kind of development. and. They just wanted to go out and play every chance that they got, every offer that they came that came in. We were just in two different directions at that time. My personal life and, and my business life collided. I needed to do 
the right thing and step up for my family and be there. Yeah. That's what I did. You also, at the time, you were not thrilled with the use of the name. You decided that was a mistake. Yeah. I just was, it just seemed like it was, it was time to, to un- unravel it, but can't be selfish. Does it feel more right? Because this is really interesting. Is it's That was Sublime with Rome, so it was like a modified band name. You guys are playing Coachella, at least, as Sublime. And that's a, a big... I don't know if people realize what a big statement that is. Tell me what that means to you and why you're comfortable with that. It's Brad's son, for one. It's a family thing. And we're all owners of the name. It seems like the right thing to do. Let's see what we can work out. Was there some mending that you had to do with your relationship with Eric to make this work? No, I always, Eric and I are deep friends. There's, I don't think there's anything that could break that bond. His, his touring and stuff, anytime he was in town, I would make a, make a chance to go out there and see him and such. But, but it's definitely increased our bond. We're doing more stuff like on a social level together too. Now, not just music. We just got back from King of the Hammers. We were out there camping and took my, son buddy out there and met up with eric and thea and their dog melvin and other friends and stuff so it was a real good time out there too so it's definitely increased our our bond as friends but we've always stayed in touch throughout the times and stuff and anytime he came out here he introduced me to thea years ago on a lap through reno tell me about those first rehearsals with jake what was the first song you played what was it like to just get started i think I can't remember, was it Santeria or it might even have been something older, but it was definitely, uh, it was, there was some nerves going on there at first. There was a lot of anxiety and just a whole flush of, of emotions going on and being there with Jake, being there with Eric, my friend Zach that, that uh, I jam with from Sacramento, Zach Gooden, he was there. Trey Painborn was there from Falling Idols, Zach from Bargain Music, and the Snobs. Anyways, running through our old set, it just, it was, I don't know, it was different, but it was, it fit together really nice. It was like, it was just like, almost like we hadn't seen each other in a long time, getting back together, knocking some little rust off the hinges, and then, and then falling right back into the saddle again. So it was, it really just went seamlessly. I think we only jammed for an hour and a half or two hours that day, and it was, it was... It seemed like a good a good set of songs that we, we had worked on. So it was like, wow, this could actually work into something. So the uh, plan, plan the, the benefit for HR kind of maybe had a little bit bigger ideas at that point. How did it go from this is a one-off benefit to, hey, we're playing Coachella, guys? Just discussing it was, could this really happen? Was there any interest in it? And, mm. and once again, I'm raising a family and stuff. I got young kids. And so my time is, is in demand by other people. So you're going to have to keep it at a, a minimum. So it's, that's the thing. It's, right now, it's just the Coachella has been announced. It seems inevitable that there'll be more dates, but you haven't announced, obviously, a tour yet. How do you see it taking shape? What does minimal <laughs> mean when there is going to be demand for this? I think it's safe to say. Yeah, it is. But the demand is, is coming in, for sure. That's one thing. We'll just have to wait and see what, what happens with this, because like I said, I, I have a, a responsibility at home right now, too. got four, four young kids demand my attention on a regular basis. Other question is, how about new music? New music, yeah. So there's, we've discovered a vault of unfinished tracks and such, and we actually heard this version of one of our unfinished tracks by a band, maybe you've heard Stick Figure, mm. did a collaboration, and we're, we're starting to search through the opportunity that there might be some previously unreleased music there that we can remix and remanage. Is the idea to discover stuff that Brad recorded or to get Jake to help you finish Brad's songs and record them now or, or both or what? I think there's an opportunity there for both of these situations to, to happen. Definitely. That's exciting. That's interesting. It's hard to imagine what form that you could, one could imagine an album that's a mix of those two kind of things. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the kind of thinking. And what's the timetable on that? Oh, dear. We haven't even really discussed that. <laughs> but it does sound like that's something you're going to do. And then, and where did, you, where and how did you discover this archive? We've always known about it, but mm. it's just a matter of going through it. Where's it been sitting all this time? 
It's been sitting with our old sound guy, Michael Apple. No kidding. And so you, when this happened, you guys reached out to him and been like, hey, man. <laughs> hey, remember those old tapes? You still got not cassettes, like more like reels, eight tracks and stuff, demos. And- Do you know how many songs there are? How many Brad sort of compositions? You know, there's, it's, there's endless hours of it. There's all kinds. There's a plethora of stuff that's in there. Because in, anytime that we had a tape machine for live studios or around sitting around the, the pad or studio, it was constantly record. Don't waste time. Just push play and record. The story of Sublime, there's it's triumph and tragedy. There's undeniable, when you think of all the bands, out of every band that has a sad story being cut short, you guys were really cut short just, I don't need to tell you, cut short just when things were exploding. Such a sad thing. It has to be unresolved business for you. And this maybe is a chance to resolve some of that business. I imagine that that must have some complex feelings attached to it. Definitely. Most definitely it does. So yeah, it was like you're on this magic carpet ride. And then the next thing somebody, you're cruising around having a great time. You're 10,000 feet above the earth. And then someone yanks a carpet out from underneath your feet. Yeah, definitely was was tragic in a business sense and everything. And losing your best friend just emotionally, personally, just the end damage but yeah being able to come back it's almost like the rebirth of the phoenix we'll see what happens so does jake ask you about his dad we talk he does we talk about it he comes up he comes up all the time just talking story just talking story it must be crazy for you to look at him over at the microphone and realize all that he must have gone through and and all it took for him to get to this point to stand at the microphone with a guitar in front of you Oh, yeah. It's incredible. I can't imagine what he went through. I can only imagine. Tell me a little bit about what to specifically expect at Coachella. You're going to hear a lot of a mix of Sublime songs throughout the different records, and maybe even some new mixes, too. Different versions of those songs, possibly. Nice. And will it be just the three of you on stage, or we have any additional musicians or anything like that? We will have additional musicians on stage to help us perform these songs. We are currently rehearsing with uh, Trey Pangborn from The Falling Idols. They were one one of our big influences back in the day. And so it's awesome being able to jam with him. I played in, in bands with Trey on and off for years, as well as Eric as. And you know, beer drinking friends, too, from Beach Butts. But him and then DJ Product. He's he's the guy we've we've played shows with in the past and and stuff. So we're just keeping it close friends and uh, people who we know to best represent the sound. Nice. That's going to be quite a moment going back on that stage. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And uh, who knows? I heard no doubts actually getting back together yes. for Coachella as well. So we'll have to talk to Gwen possibly. I'm still waking up and it's like, is is it real? Is <laughs> this <laughs> <laughs> just a dream? That was my interview with Bud Gow, and now here is my conversation with Jacob Knoll. You've been doing great music of your own, of course. You were in the band Law, did great stuff, and now you have your own band, Jacob's Castle, and I really like the songs you've released so far. Oh, hey, thank you so much, man. Yeah, Law was a lot of fun to be a part of, and I learned a lot about it. did a bunch of grueling touring for years, and then Jacob's Castle is really where my heart is. my favorite music i ever made so i really appreciate your digging it man thank you is that sort of a one-man project or is it a a band band yeah correct they're all my songs but mainly it's me and my producer john joseph that's a brain trust for the project that's the studio jacob's castle team but on the road jacob's castle is uh, anywhere between one to four piece (laughs) depending on what we're getting paid it's going to be an interesting balance going forward because you're releasing your debut on epitaph as Jacob's Castle, and you're also taking over from your dad as the front man of Sublime. So it's a first of all a, a huge year for you, but second of all, it's gonna you're gonna have to figure out how that balance is gonna work. Exactly right. Yeah, it, it's been such a huge shift for sure, and so exciting. And uh, yeah, come April time, Jacob's Castle will have a debut album out on Epitaph, and uh, what is it? And then we'll be playing Coachella with Sublime. Both very exciting. I think with the Sublime stuff, we're going to just be doing a few shows a year, and then 
in the meantime, I'll be touring with Jacob's Castle, and we do our version of some of those Sublime songs, so people can come to those shows to hear them. But I'm hoping if people come for that, they might find something they enjoy about my music too and stay for that as well. So one can hope, one can hope. Your story is, is an amazing one, which doesn't mean it was always easy to actually experience. And obviously you lost your dad when you were only one year old. And so you never, you, you don't have any memories of him, of course. Correct. But that's rough. I'm sorry about that. Oh, good, man. It, it was definitely a screwy way to grow up. A big part of my story that I've always wanted to get out there is that I think that a lot of people never heard of who I am. And then they see me join this band and they must think this kid must have just been handed everything or fucking nepotism kid or all that. And, you know, it is a gift that I have an opportunity to sing in such a big band like my father and my uncle's band, Sublime. But the truth is, you know, growing up uh, was really uh, not easy at all. And, you know, I love my mom and uh, the man who raised me, um, my stepdad, but uh, they were doing as good as they could. But uh, the truth was growing up, it was just total chaos, nonstop party lifestyles. And there was really wasn't a whole lot of money coming in during a lot of the times. And oftentimes it was just an unsafe environment for a little kid. Just seeing that crazy California kind of white trash party lifestyle was a, a lot and oftentimes as a kid i didn't feel like i fit into the whole california thing for the longest time but it was always there around me and it was always thrust upon me and from a young age i was always looking for escapism and if i connected with a great piece of art that helped me to escape then that art meant a lot to me and i think that sublime did that for does that and did that for a lot of people and it helped them through the hard times and i had my own stuff to help me through my hard times you know um I've been a drug addict since, what, like 12 years old, I guess. Now at 28, I'm seven years sober. A big part of me wanting to do music in the first place and wanting to be a part of my father's music now is realizing how much all the art that inspired me, it helped me out, and I wanted to utilize all that art in Jacob's Castle. But I also wanted it to be sort of a comment on the California culture, as it were. The culture that I felt so disconnected from, but yet thrust into, and sort of me coming into my own and accepting it. Now that I'm in how old I am now. And now that I've spent almost 11 years just of grueling, grinding and basement shows and sleeping on floors, I'm still putting in my work here, man. So for me, getting to play with Sublime is it's like a custodial duty. I, I just feel very lucky to get to be there with my uncles and very honored to get to be a part of music at all, man. So what was your path into realizing that you love music and that not only that, but that you wanted to play and sing and also that you were good at it? I think there was always a curiosity. I knew that in many ways, it was almost like my dad had given his life for this music. And I always wondered why. And I think there's always that urge to follow in the footsteps. But beyond that, there is also this, if your dad works at a car dealership, you end up working at a car dealership kind of thing. It seemed like a reasonable enough path, but really it was never the uh, overarching goal. I went to school or at least tried to. And I was going to be an English teacher and all these things. And I went to school for creative writing and that kind of stuff. And a big part of it for me is that when I started my first band when I was 17, Law, I remember the first time I played a show, how good it felt. I think for me, the juice in this thing really is the performance. And so me doing my own music is sort of like my, my cry out into the darkness, you know, the wailing into the, uh, the deafening macrocosmos, man. <laughs> Just shouting out there like, does anybody get it? Does anybody feel like this? Does anybody know what I'm referencing? And if so, will you please be my friend? I think in a lot of ways, that's all artists are really trying to do. When you look at the Sublime dudes, you just see three core dudes and a bunch of amazing best friends in this group just having so much fun and being genuinely who they are. And look at all the love we found. Look at all the people that it connected with. And because my father was gone so prematurely before his time, he was only 28, which is how old I am now, the timing really seemed perfect and it seemed like it was time for me to, to step into that role and i look at it as like a custodial role i'm not sublime my uncles bud and eric are sublime they've asked me to be their singer and, and play guitar and there's going to be a lot of fans out there who don't like the way that i sing the songs or the way that i play guitar on the songs and that's okay um up there as an entertainer i i treat the coachella thing and any other show they want sublime to play and want me to play it's just another gig for me as an artist what was the process of learning and discovering sublime's music as a kid because I, I really can't even imagine what that's like to have a dad who you never got to who you didn't have memories of but who left this body of work that you could get to know him through what a strange and unique oh totally man it was it was a trip when it comes to the musical taste i definitely got to give a shout out to my mom mama troy all her kids seem to have a really rad taste in music because she's 
a music aficionado. I can see why her and my dad connected so much. Obviously, a lot of my dad's music was spinning in our CD player in the car. So I definitely heard a lot of it growing up. But it's emotional to listen to it. It's hard to listen to a Sublime song and not think, man, my dad's not here. And it's hard to not think of all of my family who did get to know him, who got him ripped away out of their lives prematurely. It's hard to think of all the fans who connected with his personality and music and style who, who feel unsatisfied. And then it comes back to me. It's an emotional journey for sure. So for the longest time, I, I wanted to stay away from it. Too painful, man. But through growing up, I actually listened to all the same influences that that they liked. I like a lot of classic reggae stuff. Johnny Osborne, Barrington Levy, Jacob Miller. I like a lot of good punk rock. Me and the Sublime Dudes, we just did a concert benefit for HR. Yeah. We were participating in that, which is awesome. I grew up loving bad brands, Rancid and Operation Ivy. I got to record some songs with Tim Armstrong and do some writing with him because he's on Epitaph too, and he's become a really good friend to me. And and obviously all the, the classic hip-hop stuff like KRS-One and and I really like Wu-Tang Clan growing up personally. And so when I went to go make my own music with Jacob's Castle, I saw that Sublime was really just fusing together all the elements of stuff that they loved and all the cool underground happening stuff that was happening around them at the time. That DIY punk spirit is now like in the bedroom. Like what's more punk than a kid making insane sounding music in their bedroom by themselves? And that's where like a band like 100 Gex has inspired so many musicians including myself to to mess around with the formula a little bit and to just have some fun and, and, and maybe not even take it too seriously and i want to do that but still pay homage to my roots as a california artist and pay respect to the fact that i wouldn't be here doing it if not for my father's sacrifice and for all the amazing contributions of his bandmates and all his friends and everybody else in the scene that came before me If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Macy's, Adidas, Walmart, Nike, Wine.com, Samsung, Lenovo, Sephora, and more and even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use, and you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Yeah, I think one one of the things that's cool, and I heard it in Law too, and especially in Jacob's Castle, is you do hear, like, I can hear whose son you are, but it sounds like something modern and new, and that's a a, a really interesting kind of combination. Oh, totally. I, I get that comment a lot. We're, we're on the road with G-Love and Special Sauce, another oh, wow. lad I grew up with, and they've been so cool to us, but his fans have been really loving us, and one of the comments I'll get after the show oftentimes, man, I loved your set. 
I didn't even know who you were the whole time you were playing, but I kept thinking like the singer reminds me of someone. <laughs> sounds like something. And then you cover that Sublime song, and I was like, that's it. This guy sounds a lot like the Bradley dude from Sublime. They're like, that's killer. And then they're like, oh shit, it's his son. <laughs> my approach to doing the Sublime material is the more I try to sound like my dad, or the more I try to do a one-to-one comparison or play the exact guitar licks that you hear on those records, that wouldn't be real Sublime, man. That's not how they did it live. They were just themselves. And I, I think the more I'm just myself, the more it is going to eerily sound similar at times. You're going to hear that vocal kind of cracking through and be like, whoa, that kind of sounded like Brad for a second. And it's just going to be a big, fun, messy, fucking good old time. Coachella, here we come. Listening to the YouTubes of that benefit that you did, it was like, holy shit. What it, what it made clear is that at some point while doing your own thing with it, you deeply absorbed these songs and how to play them. When did that process take place for you? Thank you. That was a recent, more recent one. There's always been a few Sublime songs I've had in my catalog and the ability to play it because they're just songs that spoke to me like any other influence I have. Sublime is, of course, if I wasn't who I was today, I wasn't anybody's son like that, Sublime would still be one of my influences because they are a great band and they're part of California's history. But because I'm in my position, they have a pretty decently sized catalog and it's so specific. He was such a unique writer. He was always tailoring his guitar to fit what he wanted to do. You never got the sensation he was trying to write first chorus, bridge chorus. It was almost stream of consciousness. His writing style feels stream of consciousness. When you go through all of the catalog and you try to learn it, you find little artifacts. You find little, why would they do that here? Or why is there only one stop here? Or why does this part repeat when it never really should? And through learning it, you, you get transported in your mind back to all these different scenes you get all these images in your head of they must have been jamming it here or maybe they met a person here who said this thing or it was an inside joke here there's evidence of all this stuff so going back and getting to explore it i feel like an archaeologist almost it's really only recently that i try to learn the whole catalog and the hr show i think was beautifully messy in a lot of ways i don't think it's the best uh, example of what i'm capable of doing but at the same time, it doesn't need to be. We were there in support of a legendary artist like HR who needed who needed some help from some people who he influenced with his music. And so us being there and just having fun and getting to jam with my uncles and a bunch of fun, cool people, like it was totally surreal and awesome. I think really now is going to be the process of hammering down and getting rehearsed and trying to get these things as polished as they can. Because as soon as you get up there on that stage, we're going to uncork the fire powder barrel and just have the whole explosion happen and see how it turns out. Your sobriety have a connection with you being able to connect to this legacy in a deeper way? Very big time. Yeah, I don't think I could ever be doing this if I was still getting loaded. And I want to make it really clear, too, that I, I'm not uh, anti-drugs or alcohol. In fact, I think everybody should do them as much as possible. There's nothing will go wrong. You'll either die or you'll get sober and have a great life. So those are two pretty killer options. Because if I was anti-drugs, then it's like the super right-wing politician who's all anti-gay and stuff, and then he gets caught getting blown in an alleyway or whatever. It's doth protest too much. Everybody's got a different path with their life, and it's going to lead them exactly to where they're supposed to be. And this is simply where my path led me. I, the truth is I couldn't do music getting loaded. I couldn't do it for a day. I'd miss the show. That, that kind of stuff happened to me. So through getting sober, I was able to take my craft a lot more seriously. I was able to get to a point where I could go on tour and do the grueling touring and, and learn my instruments and learn my skills and learn what it takes to be a, on the road and a performer. And if I hadn't gotten sober, it would have never led me to the real inciting incident. And there is a real inciting incident that made me want to join Sublime and actually do this. Last year, there was some talk about Eric not playing with Sublime with Rome anymore. And there was some talk about Bud wanting to do it again, but only really wanting to do it with me and Eric. So I was thinking it over and I never really felt like it was my, I never really felt like it was my place to be involved with that because I didn't want to overstep my boundaries. Then I wanted to do my own thing. But really what ended up happening was a bunch of people saying it was a good idea, the timing, I was 28. And then the big inciting incident was I was on tour with Common Kings playing Jacob's Castle last year. And part of the trip, we, we trekked up through Petaluma, California, and we made our way to the, uh, the Phoenix Theater. And every time I play shows in Petaluma or I pass through there on tour, I always do like a sacred pilgrimage to the Phoenix Theater because that's the place where my dad played his last show that night from an overdose. So it's crazy thinking about his experience as a drug addict and my experience as a drug addict, and I'm sober now, and how grateful and lucky I feel like to have this life. Here I am walking through the Phoenix Theater, and it's like a community center now, and they got skate ramps set up, and all these kids are smoking weed and skating and stuff. And I'm like, man, my dad would probably think this is pretty cool. 
And I'm just walking around in the theater and the stage is still there. I go and step up on the stage and I just contemplate what their last show might have been like. And a lot of those old theaters have stage doors off to the side. So off stage left, there are these two doors, double doors. And I stare at them and I hear loud applause. I hear clapping and I'm like, oh, it's the ghost of the final of the final audience of the final show. And I was like, oh, no, wait, ghosts aren't real. And I walk to the door and I open the door and there is a, a tiny room jam packed with a bunch of really cool looking people, tattoos and dyed hair and all this stuff. And they just all look real cool and punk rock. And the room probably was a green room at one time. There's just stickers all over the wall and tags. And even my dad wrote something on the wall. The Sublime dudes all wrote something there. There's all of this history there. And the room is packed and these people are having an AA meeting in there mm. or an NA meeting or whatever. One of the meetings that people go to when they need to stop getting loaded. And I'm a sober guy and I go to meetings too. That just happens to be my path or whatever. It doesn't work for everybody. But I go in there and I sit down and the meeting is just starting. And I'm like, oh my God. And I would never share about me personally like that because it's just not my style. But I had to stand up and be like, yo, this is who I am. And my dad died from a drug overdose the night he, last night he played here. And here you guys are eight years later having a meeting and all of these cool people who probably love the style of music that my dad did and all the adjacent stuff who are in this place and who are trying to better their lives and trying to not die prematurely if they can. And what an amazing thing. And the name of the place, the Phoenix Theater, mm. Phoenix traditionally in mythology arises from its ashes. All I could think is that it was the time for a, a new birth and a new era for my dad's music and his life's work that he gave his life for, something that could help people overcome their addictions. And as I stood there, I, I remember I, I asked someone after the meeting, I'm like, so you guys have this meeting here every day? They're like, no, we only have it on Tuesdays at this exact time. I was like, how? I don't happen to be a very religious man. Not, in fact, quite the opposite. But when you see that many things linking up in, in conjunction, those many synchronicities, you get the option to choose whether or not it's significant. If it's not significant, cool, then it's not. But if you decide in that moment that it is, it's, it's like Pulp Fiction. Whether God found your car keys or changed Coke to Pepsi, in that moment, you decide if he was involved or not. And, and in that moment, I decided that this is what I was supposed to be doing. And me being really involved with my aunt's foundation, the Noel Family Foundation, where we tried, we recently opened up a Bradley's house. It's where in my dad's name, we try to give help and aid to musicians that might not have the necessary means to find treatment. All of these things colliding together, I realized through me doing Sublime and singing, it's not something I'm doing to try to just boost my own career, though I hope that people will discover Jacob's Castle through that. Really what it is, hopefully a platform that I can use to help people escape their lives and, and if they have addictions, to maybe see the words and the message in my father's music, see his struggle, and then make up their minds for themselves and decide if all of these weird little connections are significant. And, and that's why I'm here doing it today, and I'm fucking very lucky and thankful to be doing it. I think you played your dad's guitar at the uh, benefit show? Yeah, that was a righteous experience. My uncle Miguel, one of my dad's best friends and one of the members of Sublime, he like passed the guitar onto me. It was my dad's signature brown guitar, the, the rectifier, what I've been calling it. Fans call it the brown guitar. Rectifier means reclaimer or whatever. And it just felt, it, it was just so perfect. You get to behold an artifact like that, you know, my family heirloom. It's all very symbolic, very trippy to be doing it for sure. There's obviously a hereditary aspect of addiction and it's not, it's, you're not the, the first progeny of, of a rock star who had their own issues to then have issues of their own. How did that, it's especially, it has this weight when you know that's how your dad died as well. How did that kind of all work for you in, in your head? I feel like in the same way that the man who's never fought, his, pass, his pacifism is a little less meaningful. If I had never experienced a similar lifestyle to my dad, then me abstaining from it would be a little less meaningful. I've been at the depths of my addiction. I've been on the bathroom floor throwing up blood and convulsing. There is a better life than that. And not everybody gets to that point. Some people have killer times with drugs and alcohol and put it down or only use it occasionally. That's awesome. But some people, it's just not their path. And for me, having that in common with my father, I think allows me to connect with the music on another level. When I'm singing a song like Pool Shark or even like Bad Fish, and you can see the evidence of his struggle with the addiction. It's like Odysseus tying himself to the mast, you know what I mean? And you just hear the fucking sirens constantly singing. It can be a lot. You drive a person totally nuts. But uh, there's no beeswax in my ears, man. Those temptations, although they might have been there in the beginning, I've been seven years sober now. If I do some simple things and honor what I'm supposed to honor and lead my life the way I, I've been taught, then hopefully I'll be able to continue doing this for a long time. 
And the fact that me and my dad have that common, it's a pretty trippy story. Yeah, I imagine it also maybe helps you maybe understand him better and if necessary, forgive him more. I think so, man. Oh, of course. There's always going to be an element of you being angry, but I think I forgave that aspect of it a long time ago. Mm. I always wonder because a lot of people don't know this, but Sublime was a regional band. They were very, they were the hometown heroes in a lot of ways, but the fame didn't happen until much after and uh, much after his death, which is the biggest tragedy that I seek to rectify. I think that death sale, which is pretty gruesome, it's a pretty macabre thing to contemplate, but uh, there it is. And because of that, there really is no other option for me. I have to do this right now. It feels like I have to do this. And, and we'll do it for as long as we need to. Do you have any message or thoughts about Rome? He, he did keep the fire burning for a, a, a number of years. Yeah, and I think that was a great thing. I, I think a lot of fans still wanted to hear the music, but I don't think it really has anything to do with Rome. It could have been anybody up there. What it has to do is Bud and Eric. That's their music, too. Obviously, my dad was a large part of their creative force, but he could not have done Sublime without Bud and Eric. That is the bottom line. And I truly believe, especially having jam with those dudes, Eric, a world-class bass player. Bud, he plays like a machine. He's the best drummer I've ever played with, hands down. It's insane getting to play with people of their talent and their level. And their connection is what fueled the material of the music, even more so than just the addiction that, that my, my father experienced. So with Sublime with Rome, it's almost funny that his name is attached to it like that. Because to me, it was just Eric and Bud at first. It was Eric playing his songs. That's what made it sublime. And for the longest time, fans got to buy tickets and go to shows and get to hear Sublime's songs being played by at least one of the guys that wrote them. But the fact of the matter is, if Eric doesn't want to play with Sublime with Rome anymore and he wants to play with Bud and they've asked me to be their singer, then it's my custodial duty to uphold that. Sublime is wherever Bud and Eric or one of the two are playing. That is what Sublime is. In that sense, Rome wasn't the singer of Sublime in that way. He was a guy that Eric asked to sing his songs with him. And so there, there will be confusion with the, some of the fans. Like, well, wait a minute, I'd heard Sublime was playing Cali Roots. And every time I hear that, it breaks my heart a little bit. I, I bear no ill will to Rome the person. He's just a singer and entertainer. He's just, he works the same job I work. We work in the same field. But there is an emotional aspect that I want to make known to people I had to deal with growing up. I remember being 14 and chilling in my friend's basement and we were all listening to music and smoking weed. My friend put on a Sublime song and I was like, oh, ha, ha. I thought he was kind of messing with me. And I look over and it's Rome singing it. And it was weird. It hit me like a gut shot. It didn't feel right. And I came to accept it over the years. But, you know, no one knows what it's like to, you know, be a little kid with a Sublime backpack and go to the airport and put it on there. And the airport lady's like, oh, you like that band? And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, yeah, I just saw them play last week. And it's like, no, you didn't. <laughs> no, you didn't. Uh, that's truly how I feel about this thing, man. And I don't know if I'm going to be a better or worse singer than Rome. I don't think that's the point. I don't know if I'm going to be better or worse guitar player. I think the way he portrayed the songs was rad. And I think a lot of people are going to be his fans for life. And that's awesome. And he's going to have an awesome solo career. And that's awesome. But the fact is, it's because he was in this situation with Sublime. And I just hope that he can, I can find this common ground to where we almost have more in common than anybody in this thing, where we're put into this position and we're always going to have this comparison loomed over our heads. So whatever else is true, I know this, that Bud and Eric asked me to sing with them and sing in their band. And that's why we're calling this Sublime, because that's what it is. It's not Sublime with Rome. It's not Sublime with Jake. Like the Bumpin' Uglies album, it's uh, Sublime with no one. Will be better than that. But at the very least, it's a family-centered business. I want to do with Sublime with people that had something to do with Sublime. And then us starting the Noel Family Foundation. It's a family foundation. Addiction is a family disease. Music is a family disease. Rock and roll is a family disease, man. I seek to keep it in the family. And uh, because of that, whatever else is true the rest of this year, wherever you see Bud and Eric playing drums and slapping the bass, that's what Sublime really is. And I really hope that people enjoy my portrayal of it up there. Me, I'm just a custodian. This is my custodial duty. I've got my dad's guitar. And sometimes I sound like him when my voice cracks. However, my beard is a little red, so he might not even be my dad. My dad might be the milkman. We're not sure. So. <laughs> you played the benefit. You've played dozens of shows on your own. But to step on the Coachella main stage with your dad's band in your dad's footsteps, how's that going to feel? Can you see the goosebumps? It's wacky. It's screwy. It's loony. It's strange, man. As an artist, you always hope that it's going to be your music that gets you up there. But I don't get that luxury. 
that's where like I shrug in the face of all the nepotism comments or like people saying he just got thrown all this stuff. It's sure it, it's really cool that I get to do big stuff with a big band, but I don't ever have the luxury of an unknown musician that's going to get a story like they came up out of nowhere. That's what people want, right? They want you to simultaneously be a visionary, but be effortless. So a visionary has to have everything all planned out. But we don't like that because that's too contrived. You don't want to be contrived. You got to just effortlessly let it flow out and just happen on its own. And you came from absolutely nowhere and, and blew up. That's awesome when that happens, if it ever happens. But I don't get that luxury. So I have to play with the cards that I'm dealt. And it's a beautiful thing. I, I don't see it as a curse. Even though I, I've talked before about it being like my boulder, my Sisyphus, and I got to push it uphill like fucking Camus said, you got to imagine Sisyphus is happy. You imagine Jacob is happy in his castle. So even if no one ever likes the music that I put out, at least when I'm making a stuff that I truly, genuinely love, it's all it all has elements of the music that I loved growing up. And it has elements, I like to think, of the California scene that I was born into. A big part of growing up is accepting your name, not changing your name. Mm. Accepting who you were and who you are and accepting that you would not be here without anyone else that came before you. None of us asked for life. None of us asked to be born. But yet here we are. So you either get busy pushing the boulder up the hill or you let it crush you. And for me, stepping out on that stage, even though the first time I'm up there isn't with Jacob's Castle, that's okay, man. My dad never got to step on that stage, man. Mm. Dad never got to sing those songs in front of an audience that big at Coachella of people who adore him and his sound and his message. If you were a father, what would you want? If you were a father, what would you want? And I know what I would want to have happen in that situation. So I have to do what I have to do. The other thing is, I guess there's this biopic in the works. What is your involvement in that? And what are your thoughts on that? Oh, man, we got a, a world-class writer working on it. And I went to school for TV writing and stuff like that. So it's always been a dream of mine to work in television or movies as a writer. I think stories are what connect people to art and characters. Yeah. You know, that's what people connect with in, in music. It's when there's a story and there's characters. Look at the Beatles. Everyone had the, look at the modern boy band, that kind of stuff. My involvement in the biopic, we've all given a little bit of input to Chris Munn. He worked on uh, Ozarks. He used to write for Rolling Stone. Fantastic writer. And I think he really knows how to put a good story together. So what I'm hoping to do is just be involved in some of the writing process. And I hope I get to be a little bit more involved on set. And my goal for the movie is all of my family and everybody close wants accuracy. They want accuracy. But I think a documentary is the place for accuracy. My main goal and desire, and I don't think it looks corny yet. My desire is that you capture the spirit of what made that era in the 90s so cool to young people today all the young people that feel like they don't have an interesting era to be a part of, that they don't have a scene to be a part of, that they wonder that it was the 90s really the last fucking dying, gasping breath of authenticity in entertainment. Was it? I don't know, but I would like to exploit that idea and, and put it onto the film. I'm hoping with that vision, we could come up with something really interesting. How about casting? It's one of the tricky parts is finding someone. It could be you. <laughs> I would love to have a bit role in it for sure. Yeah. I don't know if my acting chops are up to snuff and I wouldn't want it to look like a vanity piece. Yeah. But, um, some Dear Evan Hansen or whatever. I wouldn't want that. <laughs> but, but what I would like, what I really would like, it's funny, I can't think of his name. Elijah Wood, a long time ago, said he wanted to portray my dad in a movie. And I think that would have been awesome. But I don't know who would do it. Casting would definitely be interesting. Plus, I don't want to play my dad in the movie because I think there's a kissing scene with my mom's character. So that, that would be... <laughs> it's a little too Back to the Future there. A little Back to the Future, yeah. a little Oedipal. I don't think that's going to fly too well. <laughs> a few shows a year. And obviously, uh, Bud told me that he doesn't want to uh, play that much because he's got his kids at home. How do you see that kind of washing out? If, what if, you know, a few shows could be 20? It's hard to say what that really means. I see it somewhere in the ballpark, like 10, at least this year. Just the major festivals. Uh, and nothing's confirmed or announced. Gotcha. You know, I, I got you. I'm not NDAs already. I don't think I am. But we want to play the big festivals that want us in the right markets. And I would really love to see Sublime bookings push out of the usual suspect reggae festivals. So I love the Cali vibes and the Cali roots and the Cali and the kitchen sink and the Cali and your mother and all of the Cali whatevers. I think it's a great brand. And I'm so happy that people around the planet, Sublime's an alternative band. They're a punk rock band, man. They're unique and no one in the scene sounds like them or ever will sound like them. But I'm hoping that Sublime can and can be in a lot of those alternative festivals and really uh, capture the spirit of the 90s and hopefully work with artists that, that they help to inspire a little bit. What up, 100 Gex? 
<laughs> Bud says that there's a bunch of unreleased compositions that your dad had that they have recordings of from rehearsals and stuff. And you guys are starting to look at that and trying to figure out how you would release them. Oh, yeah. I, I don't even know how much I can say, but we are working with a lot of newer artists and stuff. And there's so much meat on that bone still. A lot of unreleased, really cool, sublime material. And I think if we do it in a rad way, the fans are really going to be digging it. There's no plans for us to like write new music as Sublime, which again is another good distinction between Sublime with Rome and us. We're not going to play Sublime with Rome songs. They put out a bunch of music. We play Sublime songs. Right. If there's anything new that does come out, it's most likely going to be remixes, reimaginings of unreleased songs, uh, maybe working on new versions of old songs with new artists. Again, that family vibe, man. Anybody who was influenced by this thing or whoever thought Sublime was cool, anywhere from the biggest of the big, like Post Malone, down to people who are just starting to come up in the smaller California scene, like a lot of my friends that I work with. When you talk about not having much money growing up... It's a tough line to balance because I don't want people to think like I was destitute, but I also don't want people to think I had a silver spoon in my mouth. I got so the, you. The, the truth is, for the longest time, my mom moved around a lot. And then there was all of a sudden, I think around four or five, a bunch of money that came in. But as soon as it came in, it was entirely gone. Here we are in this uh, big, beautiful house and we can't keep the lights on. And all of the people, it was a crazy white trash upbringing, dude. Like all the people, all the, I always tell people, all, the, all of my parents' friends, all the women were sex workers, all the men were drug dealers. It was do anything we could to survive. There were times we had to break open my fucking stepdad's piggy bank, this huge change jar of quarters. And we went to the local burger place. And fucking put down quarters on some burgers. I didn't come, I, I would come home and there'd just be no one there. I'd just not be home for days on end. There was just, it was just total chaos, man. And I, and I love my parents and my family for who they are. Again, it's a family business and I'm, I'm very close with them nowadays. But when I got sober, I didn't talk to them for years, man. It was a scary, overtly sexual and overtly uh, party drug lifestyle. It terrified me, which is why it pushed me into escapism. That's why I think I love all these nerdy things like anime and video games and stuff like that. But at the same time, I found something beyond just that nerdy escapism. I just see evidence of that. Any kind of weird underground bedroom producer music, that's like a comment on artificiality and music, which is why I like to think that some of my biggest influences for Jacob's Castle are like Gorillaz or Beck. Ultimately, what I'm trying to do is something similar, although I do want to be poppy and palatable because I like poppy sounding music, but and I want to infiltrate a little bit. And shake up, and in doing so, I want to shake up the Southern California scene. I don't think I'd, I'd have gotten to any of that to answer your question. I wouldn't have gotten to any of those conclusions had I not had this sort of rough and tumble lifestyle coming up. And when I escaped it, when I escaped this, what was essentially a glorified trap house growing up, I did have my grandparents. They were more stable. They were more well off because my grandpa was a contractor and they helped me out a lot. That was awesome, but it was not, it had nothing to do with Sublime. It had nothing to do with because my dad was in a big rock band. People don't understand he died before their time. There were no big parties in Beverly Hills with them. They were a punk rock band. They wouldn't have wanted that shit to begin with. Yeah. We would have probably been living in Long Beach the rest of our life, if not somewhere near it. And when I moved up to Long Beach and decided to start music, where was the nepotism, man? I would have loved a fucking leg up. Where was the endless shows? No, man. We would book tours in Colorado and then the promoter would ghost us the last minute and we'd find pictures of him sleeping in a tent somewhere. And then all the venues had no idea we were playing shit, like th that kind of stuff. I did that for 10 years and I gladly do yeah. it again, man. I'm sleeping. Luckily, I have this Airbnb for a couple of days off in Florida, but I, that's the van I sleep in, man. Yeah. And two other guys is a TM and a drummer. And if it gets bigger, that's rad. And the fact that people want to book Sublime at a big enough event like Coachella, that's awesome. But the reason why they are doing that is because of fans who connected with the music, first and foremost. If you don't have those fans who connect with your story and the characters involved and the family lifestyle we're trying to project, you got nothing without that. What's the hardest of the catalog? Are there a couple songs that are just like, for whatever reason, are just more of a challenge to wrap your voice and guitar around? <sighs> yeah, man, Santeria. Really? There's some mean comments about our HR Santeria. I, we were just having fun with it. Like some of the dudes were all drunk and I was fucking nervous. And we were just, we don't give a shit if it sounds shitty. Whatever, it's a punk rock show. But yeah, I don't know, man. Just getting into the right groove. and the I can play the solo now. I couldn't at the time. I, we had our friend Trey Pangborn play it. And he killed it. He did awesome. But learning those solos is tough for me. I'm not a soloer. I can play guitar. Shucks, folks. I wouldn't have brought the thing out if I didn't know how to use it. Yeah. <laughs> and I do know how to use it, but uh, it's just practice like anything. For the longest time, my old band Law, I played bass and sing, and I did that adequately. I, I just had to uh, really grind on it. 
And it's tough because every time I sit there, I'm like, okay, I'm going to rehearse Sublime songs. You turn on the music and you hear your dead relatives sing and you just want to cry. And then you're trying to play it as good. And all you can feel is the constant shadows of the legions of fucking people who don't like it. Or the le- what's even worse is the legions of people who like it, even if it's bad. What's worse than those voices combined is your own personal inner demon who's just like, you'll never be good enough. So you got to throw all that <laughs> off to the side. I'm going to play it however good I can play it. And for the songs that I can't solo, it'd be a good, awesome opportunity to have rad guitar players from the scene or some of their friends come up there. I'd love eventually my Uncle Miguel to come up on stage because he's an amazing guitar player too. It's going to get better over time. And I think the songs that are the hardest are definitely the ones with solos. But I got no problem doing the skank guitar, though. No, your dad had a great bluesy, unique feel as a lead player. So I understand why that's challenging. I know, man. And and that was just musicians. Wherever we start, that's our operating bit. It's like in an RPG, you have all these different skill sets and elements and specializations. He was a specialized blues performer. He had the bluesy singing style and the bluesy guitar style. I didn't specialize. (laughs) When I taught myself to sing growing up, I would listen to every system of a down record and try to sing it perfectly or tool records. I was really liking a lot of that more involved, busy kind of singing work. And the Sublime Formula don't really call for that. I want to do these songs justice. So it's been a big shift and a challenge to my abilities as a performer. Even if the vocals suck or the guitar sucks, I hope we can at least entertain folks and they have a good time. If you look at a lot of the Sublime footage of them playing the songs, they were rarely, even the dudes will tell you this, they were rarely on point. It was more about the experience of the show, but that's no excuse. I, I, I want to be as good as we possibly can be. With these amazing musicians behind me, man, It's the sky's the limit. And that's our show. We'll be back next week. In the meantime, subscribe to Rolling Stone Music Now wherever you get your podcasts. And please leave us five stars and a nice review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, because that's always appreciated. But as always, thanks so much for listening, and we will see you next week. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.